verse 17. I'm sorry. Second Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to take that just a moment. I, I've already talked to a couple of our men this morning about this. this I'm just going to have to set my clock up here. My watch already 11:32. Uh, there's no way we're going to get through all of this, but it's something you need you need to deal with in your heart. It, it's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing thing in the life of believers. It's something we all need to deal with on a regular basis. And at the same time, it's something where we can deal with others and, and minister to them. So I, I'm going to read. Um, well, I'll try to set up the context without reading two chapters because it actually comes from two chapters. Paul writes from Second Corinthians chapter 2 uh, about the horrible account of one man who had been discharged from the church for his immorality and how he covered that in 1 Corinthians. Then he writes about his grief over that in 2 Corinthians and said, you know, we, we put this guy out. We could have been too hard on him, but we that put this guy out need to be the ones that go back to him and express our love to him and our prayers to him. And you can read all of that yourself in 2 Corinthians. Then as he concludes that, he comes to address something that all of us need, where he says in verse 13, I've had no rest in my spirit. I'm sorry, it's at Corinthians 2.13, 2, 13, excuse me, 2.13, because I found not Titus my brother, but leaving them, I went from there to Macedonia. Thanks be unto God, which always causes us, watch this, to triumph in Christ. I mean, you hear people say, well, I don't feel good. I, I, I'm overcome with a problem. I'm, I'm dealing with a really severe case of fear. There's some critical issues in my family. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about my kids. How many times do you hear people say, thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ? Uh, this guy's been in jail since Wednesday, and he's fixing to get worse. He's fixing to get worse. But, but he says he makes manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place, for we are unto God. Listen to what he says. We are a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. A as you can tell, things hit me. It's not in my notes. And, but I'm thinking, who? What? This goes back to the time of incense. When you offered up those burnt incense as a fragrance unto the Lord, and it goes back to one reference David made in first, uh, excuse me, in Psalm 133. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the ointment that ran down Aaron's beard, and it's like a perfume offered unto God. Paul says two things in these two chapters. One, it's you that are the sweet-smelling Savior of Christ to the saved and to those that perish. Does that sound familiar? 
I mean, didn't Jesus say something like, you're the light of the world? If you're in a zone right now where everything's dark and you're the light, where are we going to go? And who's going to take us there? So this is on you. This is on me. And, and, and let's get that and embrace that, that we are the light, we're the salt, but we're the sweet-smelling savor. And then he says in the next chapter, you are our epistle. When we think of what we're going to say to the people whom we address with the gospel, when we go before Corinth and Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae and Thessalonica, when we stand before all these cities from Lystra to Derby and all across Asia, you're the ones that we're going to pull forward and say, look at these people to see what Christ has done. It's you. You know, how's that fit? How's that fit? And so we have to take a minute to classify things. Well, if, if I'm what they're counting on, they ain't getting much. I feel that way. But it, it's clearly in your Bible. And it's clearly an issue that is overlooked that just professing Christianity alone without practicing it is dangerous. It's not that somebody's watching you guys. Give me your eyes. Everybody's watching. Everybody. In, among the saved, as well as those that perish, do we have that testimony as the very epistle of Christ, a living epistle, an example of what the power of the gospel can do. Is that what I mean? Do we have that written epistle said about us? We do, right here. Here, here it is. So we are the city of God, and, 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 and we are the ambassadors, and we're the sweet-smelling aroma that goes before the earth, the world all the way to the throne with us. But now then he comes and he starts to tell us how we go about this work. And that's, that's what we want to look at for, for a few minutes this morning. In verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 3, he says, For as much as you are manifestly declared, that is, openly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, Okay, keep it stopped for me. I'll, I'll try to be brief. Written not with ink, but written with the Spirit. That, that's just an easy way of saying, um, look, we're not talking about rules and laws. We're talking about evidence that Christ lives in you. That's what we're talking about. So catch this. And then he moves and he illustrates how Moses encountered God when God presented him the law, and we've heard that story. Look at verse 7. If the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious. Now, that administration of death is another way of saying the law that was handed to Moses. Because the law, why is it called the ministration of death? Because 
It calls us out. It calls us out. It exposes the fact that here's the law. You broke it. You're doomed. What are you going to do since you've broken the law? You're going to die in your sin. Uh, it is appointed the man once to die. The soul that sinneth, it will die. Adam, don't do that. For in the day you do it, you're going to die. So, so here it is. It, the law, the good thing about it, it says you are wrong. And in being wrong will lead you to fixing a problem. And that's the idea here uh, or learning how it's fixed. Let me say that. The administration of death written and engraved in stones is glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. Don't let this mess your head up. How shall we not minister, how shall we, excuse me, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be even more glorious? Don't go to sleep on me yet. Give me a minute. If the administration, God giving Moses the law, was so glorious that Moses turned as leprous white and had to cover his face because the very glory of the Lord that fell on him when he received the law that sentenced us to death. How much more glorious is the administration of the Spirit because the law is going to be done away with. The law didn't last. The Spirit does. The law could convict you, but it couldn't convert you. And that's still the way it works. But the Spirit converts. It regenerates. Does anybody in the house know that regenerate means you've got a brand new life? And if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's in chapter 5, if you keep reading. This is a whole long story in these particular chapters about how a law from God could be so incredibly overwhelming that Moses couldn't hardly see, that smoke descended upon the mountain. Nobody could look at Moses without covering, putting a veil over. Listen to me. If you think that was powerful, then how much more? How much more is it when the Spirit of God comes into a mortal man? convicts him, converts him, <coughs> and completes him in Jesus Christ. It forces us to look at, if I'm convicted and I'm converted, why do I struggle with being completed? It forces us to consider a subject taught by Jesus to the most religious people, those Pharisees, that confronted him, and on one occasion, he, having taught, sums it up by saying, you, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you what? Free. You know the truth, the truth will make you free. You're religious, but you're not free. Now, that was possible under the Jewish uh, or the uh, un under the Old Testament. But is it possible in believers today 
to know the rules, you'll still be in bondage to it. And some of you are. And if you're not yet, you might be. You're going to face it on a regular basis. How, how so? Let me give you a few illustrations of that quick. This bondage being discussed deals with those who have a misplaced trust in their own righteousness. I am righteous because I go to church. I am righteous because I'm a Baptist, a Methodist, a Catholic, a Presbyterian, whatever, fill in the blank. I'm righteous because I get out of bed and go down there. I'm righteous because I tithe my income or at least give something. So that makes me good. Uh, I've earned my place in heaven because I buy donuts for babies. I know that's a gross stretch. I'm not talking about you, Ben. Ben don't buy them church stuff. Then y'all want babies. I, I got to hush now and move on. But I'm righteous because I serve here or I serve there. That that's that's one of the most popular forms of bondage. There. Now here, here's another form of bondage. Now I'm not, I'm not trying to make you itch or even scratch anybody else's itch. I'm just trying to say this. I'm righteous because I'm a Baptist. Now, it was religion, but now it's denomination. I am right about everything, and anybody that disagrees with me is wrong. Right? It's a form of bondage. Maybe it comes from your educational system. Maybe you really believe that. Are Baptists wrong about everything? No. Are, are, are the Charismatics wrong about everything? No. Are they right about everything? No. I'm just going to lay it out there for you to know. <laughs> What's wrong is what encompasses every single one of those people groups or denominations, and that is that's what you're trusting in for righteousness. That is so wrong. I, I had a guy one time we encouraged and invited to come and please join in with us on a community Thanksgiving service. No, we can't do that. We don't mix with other churches at all. We don't mix. Then he called me and wanted me and the preacher to go play golf with him. Well, I ain't never been on a golf course. I ain't going. I mean, I'm glad for all you guys to do, but I, I don't have that kind of in me. It ain't in me. I just don't have it. I went to a par three one time, shot 45 before I got the whole six, and it's time to go out. But I said, uh, I don't know. I'll ask the pastor and see if he wants to go. He's a golfer. And the golfer said, just tell him if he can't play with me, I, he can't play with me. And that was pretty ugly, too. But the, the, the idea that, that we have created some kind of righteousness in our own might is one of the biggest forms of bondage there is. Well, we could go on and on with this. Some are in bondage to a moral code. I haven't stolen. I haven't killed. I haven't committed adultery. Uh, you have killed. You killed Jesus, and I helped you. He died for your sin and my sin. So, yeah, there's blood on your hands rejecting Christ, and it's on there for eternity. Uh, that would be another sermon at another time. Uh, our religious teaching, instruction, or maybe our intellect. Look, look what Paul said. Look, look what the man said that wrote this. I was a tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day. 
I'm a Pharisee among Pharisees. And he went on to say, if anyone had power to boast, it was me. He was giving people who professed faith in Christ in the name of his religion. And you might not be killing people, and you certainly might not kill them because of worship, but you're killing your own influence, being in bondage to think that you're the only one that's got it all together. And you're trusting only in that religious system. This is the truth of Catholicism, uh, Romanism, uh, Orthodox uh, Greek, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, anybody. If, if this is what you're hanging your hat on, listen to me. Everybody that serves in the church today, they're all sinners. They're sinners. They got their own slant. They got their own thing. They got places where they'll never budge. Paul says, you're trusting in yourself. Jesus said, if you're trusting in yourself, you're in incredible bondage. Well, what's the solution? Let's go look. Look, then he introduces the idea that the coming of the Holy Spirit was even more glorious than the coming of the law more powerful look how he wraps this up in verse 17 excuse me verse 14 their minds were blinded for until this day remains the same veil not taken away in the reading of the old testament which veil is done away in christ okay none of that anymore but even to this day when moses is read the veil is in his heart nevertheless when it shall turn to the lord the veil shall be taken away. Now, the Lord, catch this, is that spirit. Underline this. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Demetai illustrates it. But we all, with open face, beholding or looking as in a mirror or a glass, the glory of the Lord, watch, and we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. How? Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. What are we free from as believers? What are we free from? Now, let's start with Scripture, Romans 6. We're free from, first of all, the law. I, I'm not under bondage to trust the law to save me. Nor does that law provide for me a Savior. We're free from the law of sin. What? Uh, the presence of sin? No. The practice of sin? No. But we are free from the power of sin and what it has done to us with respect to our eternal destination. I cannot go to hell as a child of God. There will be no saved people in hell. My sin has been atoned. That word means covered. My sin debt has been redeemed. I've been redeemed. That means my sin debt has been paid. I'm free for that. I don't have to get up and throw a baby in the Ganges. I don't have to get up and go without food and water for 40 days. 
go fasting and praying is certainly a biblical principle. I, I don't have to go to church every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday. I, I don't have to give so much money. I, there's a lot of I don't have, listen to me, give me your eyes. I have nothing to do with my salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Yet I'm free from that sin in Christ. I'm free from death, eternal death. That's not a word that means death, oblivion. That's a word that means death, separation. Separation. It separated Adam from God, and it will you too. It will you too. But when Christ comes and the Holy Spirit of God comes, look at the identity factor in the verse. It says that spirit gives us freedom, but that spirit is the Lord. Are you listening? He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And consider just a few things from that point, and we're dismissed. First of all, what you're professing as a believer. What is your public profession as a believer? Biblically speaking, it is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Practically, it's Jesus Christ is my Lord. It Practically, it's my faith to see my sins forgiven does not rest in any law or any personal exercise or any personal religious practice. I am free because of what Christ has done, and I'm not under bondage anymore to what I must do. That's freedom. That's freedom. So we celebrate in our testimony, in our lives, not ourselves. We celebrate Christ. We boast not of our own righteousness. Don't have any. There's none that are righteous. Not one. There's none that sinneth not. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to our own way. Listen to this. Our righteousness is a gift from God, and it just simply means what it says. Right with God, we're clothed in his righteousness. That's freedom right there. I don't have to go home and stay awake tonight and wonder, whoops, what happens if I die in my sleep? Well, I'm telling you what happens, honey, is this. All you got to do is call the funeral home. They know what to do. That's it. Uh, I, I, I just, no, you got to call the coroner if you hit me too hard in the head. But, but I, I can rest tonight knowing. I, I know some things about me. I, I'm not perfectly righteous. In me dwells no good thing. Paul even echoed the words himself. That, you know, I, I'm, I'm chief among all sinners. Our life story is written on the same page. I came back there today for 15 years and all these things. I have no righteousness. Righteousness is something that God bestows. It's something that God imputes, not imparts. Well, if you get real technical with imputation and imparting you can be taught different schools where it says the more you do, the more righteous you become. <coughs> I am clothed, and every believer is clothed in his righteousness. That's our profession. That's a public profession of faith. 
I'm trusting in him for redemption. I'm trusting in him for um, revealing the Father to me. I'm trusting in him for forgiveness. I'm trusting none of myself for any of the above. None. And that's exactly what the scripture meant when Jesus said, who the Son sets free is free indeed. How many times have you said or heard anybody else say, don't listen to me. I just hope I get to heaven if I can only get there by the skin of my teeth. What if you're wearing dentures? You thought I'd throw that out there. Is it skin on your teeth, really? I know what you mean. We all know what you mean. I'm telling you, if you're going to stand before a man or before God and say, but God, I did this, that's only going to be come possible in the form of a please God, please God, please God, I beg you, God. Please don't send me to that place. Because you ain't got nothing but this misdetermined scripture. Your righteousness is like a filthy rag. Bondage occurs when you trust in your own religion, your own denominational preference, at the expense of omitting the very name of Christ, your own morality. And I see so much of that. I, I see it. It comes mostly in the, the, the realm of I don't sin like you sin, so I'm okay. I know I, I didn't commit adultery, but the kid down the street did, so she's a harlot forever. Nobody has to remain clean forever. And what do we say? When a person is set free, they're free indeed. Well, I, I didn't steal. We didn't lie. We didn't commit adultery. So uh, I did take a couple of guys out on the street one night. I did kill a couple. Well, he's in prison because he killed somebody. Well, you're sitting here in church, but you're in just as big a prison because you're trusting in yourself. And I'll tell you something. At least he's in a place where he can hear the gospel and get saved. You've heard it and still aren't saved. That's truthful. Why is that? Because you're trusting in yourself. Those bondages, Paul says, look, take a look. Take an incredible look where the Spirit of the Lord really is, where he's seated. This is going to cause you to have to look at your own household. It's going to have to cause you to look at your own theology. And we can't emphasize this enough. Salvation is by grace plus nothing. There's a whole book in the Bible about that called Galatians. Salvation is a free gift, not a payday or reward for what you've done. It's a gift. It's a gift. But here, here's where I want to conclude, at least for this morning, and I'll hush. This same spirit that frees us from ourselves and trusting in ourselves is the same spirit can we get close together and just look at each other for a moment? That dictates how we worship. Now, granted, no man in bondage is going to worship. You, you got to deal with that through confession and repentance. Okay? But God has specifically told us that they that worship the Lord 
will worship in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such as those to worship him. How are you going to worship in truth when you're in bondage to unconfessed sin? How's the Holy Spirit going to come in here and fill this place like we ask him to do in our music? When we can't repent of our sin. How's the Holy Spirit going to bless us and unite us when we insist on staying divided because of religious or denominational pride? How's that going to happen? You might as well put a sign on the door and lock it up and say, Holy Ghost, don't come in here. We got our own way of doing things. How's the Holy Spirit going to thrill every soul when we make our own selves the supreme object of worship and not Christ? And that's echoed in this. Lord, I want to go down there and I mean I want you to do I want you to do it my way. Can I tell you something that's gonna make you want to scratch your bald head or hair if you're the one that is? Worship. Ain't got nothing to do with who's preaching, what's preaching, who's singing, what's singing. It has to do with you standing face to face in the freedom of the Spirit before Almighty God and coming to Him not predicated on what He can hand you, but just predicated totally on who He is. And the Lord is that Spirit. That Spirit. And where that Spirit is, there's freedom. There's liberty. There's liberty. I can rejoice in God my Savior on the Isle of Patmos with John in the prison with Paul or in a little church somewhere in North Mississippi. Not because of me, but because of him. Paul was addressing people who had one moral crisis after another. Paul was addressing people who couldn't get a right handle on some of the spiritual gifts. Paul was uh, addressing people who would be addressed they were divided over who their favorite preachers were. Go back and read 1 Corinthians 1. All kind of issues had come in. So Paul concludes, wait just a minute, what we need here today is some free people. Free people. Free people allow other people to worship freely. I, I don't tell a guy he can't fold his hands. You know, he, he may be gasping for breath. I don't tell nobody they have to raise their hands. And all that is so fundamental, fundamentally primary. But we will experience right here in these walls the freedom of God's Holy Spirit when you experience it in your personal life. When you experience it in your private worship, you're only going to worship here today like you did all the time. That's all you're going to do. You're only going to communicate the truth you learned today predicating on what you learned all week. There's nothing fresh going to come in the doors if you don't bring it. This is not a one-man show. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Can somebody just express themselves and say, thank you, God. I'm, I'm free from sin. I'm free from the law. I'm free from death. 
that means I am free because of Christ and because of the Lord who is that spirit. I am free to celebrate him no matter where I am or who I'm with, and I'm a free recipient of any gift he decides to give me and what he wants me to have. I am absolutely free when I leave this place today to represent Christ and dignify him and honor him and glorify him. Paul says, you look in the mirror. He called it a glass. Look at it. But those who are free in Christ find after looking in the mirror and a continued look in the mirror that they're changed into the image of Christ. It could have been, I guess, more simply to say those who gaze on Christ and experience that freedom start looking like him. You start looking like him. I was in a funeral a couple of weeks ago, a little old lady, 90 years old. I, I, I did not know her. My mom had known her and run around with her. She walked up to me and she said, are you Marsh Barnum's son? I didn't even really tell her yes or no, but I told her the truth, yeah. She mystified. I said, she said, Let's give a little application of this. Are you a son or a child of God? You looking at him, do you favor him at all? Or are you a slave? People who experience the genuine freedom of their relationship with Christ, who experience incredible biblical God-given grace, grow into the likeness of Christ. doesn't matter to you what I personally am or think or do, but does it represent, does it replicate, does it look like Christ? And I don't care what time you're in here today. If we don't walk out of here looking like Jesus, it's all wrong. I'll say this in heaven. Don't you want to worship in spirit? It requires truth. It's a fundamental requirement. It's not up for negotiation. Worship in spirit and in truth. Because God's spirit is the Lord. He is God. And we'll decide today whether you leave here and he's still there. Aren't you glad that in Christ, no matter what comes our way, we know who the Lord is? How are we going to worship? How are we going to work together? If it don't start with the Spirit, it don't go anywhere. But if you're freedom, do you understand that? Do you possess that? Pray for us. There's so many kinds of freedom. Father, there's, there's freedom from fear. There's freedom from trusting in ourselves. 
there's freedom from having to question our own morality and stay awake tonight and wonder what if, what if, what if, what if. God, that, that faith is not in the Scriptures. It, it's not there. It's nowhere to be found. Of all the conflict Paul had, he said, I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul laid his head down at night knowing his faith was from God. His forgiveness was from God. His future was from God because his family was of God. And his heart beat to look at, at page one of what it means to walk in the Spirit and work in the Spirit and worship in the Spirit. The requirement to walk and work and worship, the requirement is first of all the presence of the Spirit in its fullness and its freedom. Teach us, God. Help us if we have to unlearn some stuff. But God, give us a heart that beats to look like Jesus. A heart that would give us the freedom to be changed into the very image of Christ. A heart that overflows with joy even when we're in our most painful moments. God, this is the early stages of one subject. But I pray you'd teach me, minister to me, forgive me. And Lord, I thank you that when we leave here, we leave with the love for you and each other, and that's a gift. We can gather around a table and, and just talk and laugh and, and eat. But God, there's six days ahead of us after this, and a whole community in need. Let us entertain this, God. Give us, God, the spiritual freedom to celebrate the fact that we are that Savior, that written epistle, that light, and that salt. I pray again so that others may see Jesus. Bless this day, this church family, their needs, that uh, gathering, and, and even the food in a moment for those who choose to come. And we'll thank you for it. Before I say amen, you pray. I want to ask you one question. I promise you I'll say amen after one question. Are you sure that you can come? Father, I pray the Holy Spirit press every heart. So we too can say, I know in whom I believe. I know. Thank you, too, in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget next Sunday night, 530, bring some food, uh, soup. You heard Teresa. Viewed the movie. Wednesday.